Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. If I could have the band students stand up again, we're going to give them another round of applause. If you were in band yesterday, give them a round of applause. Yeah, stand up. All right, you can sit down. And we also have more kids that are a part of our group that come to things that uh, aren't here today that are in band. But um, just a quick band note. Uh, for those of you who, you know, Jason, he didn't want, he was being humble because, you know, his kids are in band, not wanting to brag too much. But you've got district band, and then you've got to do good enough there to go to region band. And then you have to good, do good enough at region to go to area. And this was the area band competition where there are 25 bands from all over the area. And of the 25 bands, our band got second. So that is pretty awesome. And another thing that makes me smile, because uh, this reminds me of me, uh, is that last night I sent the group a text and said like, hey, awesome job, y'all did amazing. And all of them were like, thanks. Because they got second instead of getting first. And I remember thinking, I was like, that just makes me smile because I can remember times where my parents would be like, you did awesome, you got second. And I'd be like, I know, uh, should have gotten first. Um, and so that's pretty cool, a sign of, of people that were competitors and really tried. And, and I, how many in, it's every other year that the top three from area or top, okay. Okay, sometimes, some years, the top like five from area would go to the state band competition, and every other year they do state. And so they would have gone to state, and next year we'll, we'll hope and watch them practice a bajillion hours to, uh, to go to state. So uh, we've been going through a series on Romans, and uh, we've been going through, and, and we, we took a break, and now we're back into Romans. And, and last week in Romans 1 and 2, I mentioned that Romans 1 and 2 basically are a condensed version of the whole section of Romans 12 through 15. If there's anything through 12 through 15 that you think, I wonder what exactly this means, guess how you can know what he's probably trying to communicate to you. Go back and read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it's going to highlight, okay, this is the core of what he's saying, and you can read it in light of that. So in 1 and 2, you get these two main things. First, all of us should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Live your life, your concrete, everyday life as a sign of, I'm living for you, God. I'm no longer living my life for myself, but I'm living it for your purposes, as a sacrifice to you. And then the second is this idea of not conforming to how the world would tell you you should live, but being transformed constantly by the renewing of your mind. So with that in mind, let's read our passage, which you've already had a primer for it, now you get to hear it again. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read, and then there's going to be four kind of things that all were worth pointing out. And that's, that's what the sermon will be today. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now I want to point out something real quick. The word in Greek for gift is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. That's where you get the word charisma from, uh, or, or a charismatic church, lots of gifts. And the word grace 
comes from the word charis. So in this whole section, there's kind of a play on words here. Anytime you see the word gift, it comes from the word charis, grace, gift. Anytime you see the word grace, it comes from the word charis, gift. So it's kind of this cool play on words here that Paul is doing, where he's saying, we have different gifts according to the grace, gift, grace, given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it, if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So the first of the four things that I want to talk about is this opening line from verse 3 where it says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Which leads me to this. Think of yourself less. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, is famous for saying that being humble is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Being humble is not thinking less of who you are, but it is thinking of yourself less. For me, uh, one of the core things that Paul is trying to get you to wrap your mind around in this transformation, you've got this church in Rome of Jews and Gentiles who are not getting along, a common theme in these New Testament letters. And one of the ways that he's going to get them to get along is for them to not think too highly of what they have. Well, you know, us Jews are better. Well, you know, us, us Gentiles are better. The way you're going to be able to navigate through this unity is by thinking of yourself less. And it reminds me, one of my favorite um, quotes from this book, there's a book by Tim Keller. I love his marriage book. And he says this. He says, If two spouses each say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in the marriage, you have the prospect of a truly great marriage. Let me say that again. If each person in the marriage says, I am going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in our marriage, you have the prospect of a truly great marriage. What he's saying is, is each one of us, if we can really boil it down, that in most of our conflicts, most of our problems in marriage is when I start to think, well, it's not going how I wanted it to go. We're not doing what I wanted to do. And if I recognize that that's probably at the root of all of our problems, and my spouse is doing the same thing, you're, you're, in, you're in really good shape. Because most of the time, you're going to come to a conclusion where this problem that we have is probably something that I have a good part of the problem. Not, well, it's always them. It's always their fault. And I, I wanted to bring this up because I believe part of what Paul is saying is part of your disunity is that you're not recognizing the fact that this faith that you have, this grace that's been given to you by Jesus, we, that none of us are more special than anybody else. We've been given this faith. It's such a gift. And instead of thinking of yourself as like, well, I'm more qualified to be a Christian in this church because I'm a Jew. I'm more qualified because of this. He's saying, no, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Think of yourself humbly and realizing like we're all in this together because we have this faith that faithfulness of Christ because of our faith and we get to think of ourselves less uh, not think less of ourselves think about ourselves less so that is one of the keys in this passage to understanding what does it look like for us to have this unity you are going to be able to have this unity if you can start to transform your mind to saying I'm not more special more important than my brothers and sisters in faith and some of you sitting there may think I don't know if I really ever do that where I think, well, uh, and I would just say um, there's a good chance that um, you are if you don't think that sometimes you're part of the problem of, uh, of disunity. Does that make sense? Like, I don't really think I have a problem with that. 
that means you're probably not considering your self-centeredness as part of the problem. Okay, next. This is, a, this is a big one, big, big deal in this passage. But oftentimes in our world, we believe you cannot be unified unless you have a conformity. Unity equals conformity, meaning if I want to be united with you and we're going to be united, we have to look exactly the same. We have to be the same. And this is a really awesome example, a really great place in Scripture where for Paul, that is contrary. For Paul, he actually believes it is more possible that you have unity because of your diversity. And he uses this body illustration to make the point. One of the first things that Christians need to get their minds transformed and renewed in order to not conform to this world, in order to offer their church and their selves as living sacrifice, is the immediate impact of saying, you and I are a family in Christ because we are one body even though we have a diversity. And you can almost imagine the Jewish Christians in Rome saying, well, this is why we're better at this. And this is why the way we do church is better. And you can imagine the Gentile Christians going, no, this is why the way we do church is better. This is why we're better fit to be kind of the main people running this church in Rome. And Paul is not saying, hey, you be quiet, you be quiet. He's saying, y'all don't get it. You're all gonna be better because you have each other. You're all, your blessings that you bring are going to help the Jewish Christians' blessings. Y'all's gifts that you bring is going to help this group of people. The differences are not a problem. It's a part of God's design that the unity and the diversity, like a body, make things better. So, for example, your hands. My hand and my feet are different, but I'm, I am better because they're on the same page. Even though they're completely different. I guess they both have five. You know, five toes, five fingers. So in that sense, they're similar. But I need the differences in my body in order for this to work well, if that makes sense. I, uh, I knew a, pre I have a preacher friend. One's, one's at Crestview in Waco, Jordan, and one's at uh, Western Hills in Temple. His name's Scott. And I remember they, for a little while, would do this thing where they would write their sermon series together. And I remember thinking, that's interesting. I feel like most churches would fire their preacher because they're like cheating, getting help on their sermons from somebody else. You know what I mean? Hey, you need to be the one working hard on your sermon. You know, what are we paying you for? You know, but what their rationale was, they said, what's cool is every time we looked at a text together, he sometimes would have better ideas one week than me. And I sometimes would have better ideas one week. I'd have a great illustration, and he might not have thought of something. And both of our churches were blessed by our best ideas. You following me? Another good illustration that bringing it back to marriage and family, my marriage would be worse if Catherine and I were the same. I believe part of God's design when he created Adam and Eve, it was not humanity until there was an Adam and until there was an Eve. We physically obviously need to be different in order for a family to exist. But even from the personality traits, my children are better because of things that I bring and because of things that Catherine brings, more things that Catherine brings, okay? But we need, we need that in order for our unity to be better. If we were exactly the same, then there would be so much Cowboys paraphernalia in our house. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. There would be so many ways in which we would be less because of the sameness. Yet, I would argue that it is through our difference that our unity is possible. You kind of following with me here a little bit? 
It is not unity despite diversity. It is unity because of the diversity. Paul is saying, I want you to lean in to the fact that you are different, and yet that's going to make your unity in Christ so much stronger. By the way, I could also go another direction where I say, I'm not going to go there with this sermon, but I can go the direction of when two people who are very different are sitting together sharing the Lord's Supper and people around the world go, how can those two people sit together? You say, well, it's not because we're the same. It's because we have faith in Jesus Christ. That's another powerful message. That's a sermon for another day. Okay, next point. God gives you gifts for the body. So do them diligently. I'm going to focus on the first half of that. One of the key things for Paul, he says in Romans 1 and 2, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And part of what it looks like to offer yourself means to offer the gifts that God has given you. But the reason God has given you those gifts is not for you. The reason God gives you gifts is for us, for the body. This is very crucial to Paul. A gift given not used for the body is a waste of a gift. For Paul, he's saying, and this is something that I think is really important. When we use this phrase, um, Paul giving these gifts, I do believe that many of us are born with God-given gifts that God wants us to use for his kingdom. But I think in this specific situation, Paul is more specifically referring to Gifts that the Spirit has given you as a part of your newfound relationship to Jesus. That now that you've become a Christian, now that you've joined this body, God is going to, through the grace, charis, of His Holy Spirit, He's going to give you gifts, charis, that are for each other. So I'm going to, give, I'm going to read this and I'm going to use some examples. N.T. Wright says, God's grace often enhances the abilities and inclinations people already have. But sometimes, when God's Spirit takes over someone's life, new gifts emerge that neither they nor anyone else imagined before. Okay? This is something we've got to remember. Whenever I say, I want you to use your gifts, it doesn't necessarily mean, well, that, when I was a kid, I was really good at this. So that's what we're talking about. That, that is good. God will, as it says, enhance those abilities and enhance those inclinations. But we can't deny the fact that if you think somebody can't offer anything and then they come to become a Christian and come to know Jesus, don't be surprised if they have a lot more to offer because of God's grace, because he's given them something new to enhance our body. So the first thing I think of is, um, I, I think of this story where Whenever I was uh, a youth minister at Katy, uh, many of you, I've said before, we had Hurricane uh, Harvey come through, and it destroyed our church and destroyed our neighborhood. And one of the things that was really cool to see was the number of people that were incredibly talented that I had no idea because they had never had an opportunity to run a crisis, uh, a crisis center. You know what I mean? We, don't, we often have the way we do church and so there's just basically a set number of things that if you have that gift, great, you can contribute. But if you don't, you probably can't because we just do this as church all the time. But when church becomes, hey, these people's houses have flooded and we're going to go muck them out, a lot of new gifts show up. Whenever uh, one of the things that we did was I remember many churches sent us money with the desire for us to help people in need. And it added up to about, about $85,000 that was sent to us. And so one of the things we did was we set up a program where if you were a family within a mile radius of our church, you could come and we would talk to you about your needs and you could decide if you wanted a $1,000 gift card to Home Depot, if you wanted a $1,000 gift card to Lowe's, if you wanted a 
And, and we actually set up partnerships with these companies. And, and even there was a local appliance store where we would uh, basically would give them names and info of people we were helping if they chose to get appliances from this place. So it was this awesome program. And one of the things I remember thinking was so cool is I needed members from our church to stand up in the, you know, in the fellowship hall. And as these families would come in, it was their job to welcome them, go sit with them, talk with them about their needs, pray with them, and help them decide what they needed to do. And there were some people that I remember putting on those teams thinking, uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the Godettes. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of the Godettes. They're this incredible family that we love, but sometimes they're so awesome that I remember being like a little intimidated by them. And I remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to ask them to help, and I'm not sure how good they're going to do. They were our one of our best couples at welcoming these families, being with them, and I didn't know that gift until that need had arised. And so one of the things I want to say about this gifts for the body is oftentimes circumstances and opportunities will arise in our church family that will illuminate this. We have some really talented people that are amazing with our children. My hope and prayer is that we will need more and more people helping with our children as we hopefully have more and more children here. And there's going to be some of you who might think, I'm not good at that. I can't do that. And what I'd want to encourage you is, I understand if you don't have the uh, the when you were a kid, you didn't think you were necessarily good at that. But I'm going to challenge you. Guess what? There's a chance that because of our need, God's going to maybe give you what you need in order to help our children. You following me? Like, you might be a grace thing is given to you because we need you right now. And, and there's, that's going to look in so many different ways. But the, the most important thing is, is that God's, in this passage, the point Paul is making over and over with talking about these gifts is to say, the community needs you. We need each other. And so we need your gifts. We need you to bring them. And one of the, the ways when we see it in the passage where it says, if your gift is this, then teach. If your gift is encouraging, then give encouragement. I think you're supposed to kind of get this idea of not just, hey, if you have a gift, help out. It's more, if you have a gift, roll up your sleeves and start getting to work, okay? Start doing it diligently. The, the wording here is, um, the passage has a get your sleeves rolled up feel to it. Find out what your task is and give yourself to it properly. Plan the work. Think it through. Get up early and get on with it. Expect to work until you're tired and to keep at it even on the days when you're not in the mood. This is a working for each other. It's not easy, um, but it's, it's why God gave you that gift was for each other to work. Okay, so the emphasis of the gifts is, one, on the fact that they are for the unity of those who are in Christ, and two, to devote yourself to it diligently. All right, last point. Paul is basically saying to them, in my opinion, this is a roundabout way that he says this, that the way I will know if your mind has been renewed and transformed, the way I will see that is most clearly by the way that you treat each other, which is really cool that Andrew's song, They'll Know That We Are Christians By Our Love, draws into this really cool. By Tim's prayer, it draws into this idea of, you want to know how I'm going to know if you've not conformed to this world, but your minds have been renewed and transformed, and that you've accepted this humility, that it is by faith that you are a part of this family. It's by faith and grace that you've been given gifts to keep this family and unity together. I'm going to know the evidence of that based on how well you work to treat each other like I would want you to treat each other. When Paul says that we should be transformed at the core of it, it relates to how we treat each other. There is no such thing, in my opinion, as a lone Christian. 
There's no such thing as a Christian. Just like there is no such thing as a hand by itself or a foot by itself or a limb cut off. You know what that is? It's, that hand is, is, is dead now. That limb cut off from a tree, it's no longer a limb. It's lost what it is because it's not a part of this. And part of what Paul would say is the pieces are diverse pieces. We find our meaning only so far as we are connected to the whole, to the body with Christ as the head. God sees Christian maturity less by how much you read the Bible, less by how well you pray, less by how diligently you do these things, whether you show up 10 minutes before Wednesday night class or not. That is less how Paul determines whether you've been transformed into a new life. He determines it more by how you treat each other in love. So, a few examples and I'm going to be done. Any of you here, and I know I can be very guilty of this, have you ever gotten your plate of food for luncheon and looked at the tables and you might see someone that you would rather not sit by and someone you would prefer to sit by? That is not treating each other how you should treat each other. Any of you ever chosen not to engage with someone in our body because of some personal drama, a grudge, a fight? Well, this, this person said this about my kid. This person did. Has that ever happened in this building before? I'm sure it has. By the way, I want you to know I'm pretty thankful that I think we're pretty good at this. But I know this exists. And Paul would say, you are not transforming your mind if you're not treating each other with your unity, your togetherness as your primary mission. Any of you chosen not to speak with someone because of their political views being different than yours? Any of you in here ever said, well, I know they feel how they feel about this doctrinal issue, so I don't know if I really want to hang out with that person or talk with that person. If you've done that, Paul would say you are missing out. You have not matured into the renewing of your mind. You are conforming to the patterns of this world. But instead, you need to realize we need our diversity. We need each other because we're less without each other. For Paul, this means that you have missed the key to what it's all about. You have chosen to be more transformed by an idol, whether it's doctrine, or an idol, whether it's politics, or an idol, whether it's status. You have chosen to be transformed more by that and to offer your life as a living sacrifice to that than you have to Christ and the Holy Spirit's transformation of your life. So, my encouragement to you to wrap up. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should. That's part of the renewing your mind. You are a part of a body, and you have gifts to bring that God has given you for our body in Christ. And it all comes back to humbly working together for Jesus Christ, for His purposes, and to loving each other. If any of you would like to know more about what that looks like, if any of you would like to have one of the elders pray over you, they're going to be standing at the doors. And we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a part of this body and the body of Jesus Christ as a whole. Uh, I'd encourage you to come talk with us as we stand and as we sing.